You are listening to the Bay City Church Sermon Series, Seven Deadly Sins, a series designed to help us overcome our broken nature. For more video and audio resources, visit baycity.church. This week we are going through gluttony, and I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon quite like this one. I, I don't know if you've even heard a sermon on gluttony. I've certainly never preached one. Okay, this is new for me. But this will be very, very different, I imagine. So I'm going to ask you one question. Have you heard of mukbang? Mukbang. No one? What if I say like an American? Mukbang. No? Oh, okay. So you know where I'm going. So there's this craze sweeping the internet called mukbang. It's a, started in South Korea or mukbang. And I'm going to give you kind of just the, don't, don't show anything yet, but I, I'm just going to give you uh, the definition of mukbang. It's a live online broadcast in which the host eats an ungodly amount of food while interacting with their audience. So essentially the host will put insane amounts of food on a, on a plate or on a table, really, and they consume all of it live. Or you can watch a replay, so it's not that live. But nonetheless, this is, where it, this is, this is kind of a, a pretty gnarly thing that's sweeping the internet right now. So do you have, okay, check this lady out. This is in South Korea, so she's got several plates of food, she's got maybe a few cases of Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and she proceeds to eat almost all of this food. She eats as much as she possibly can, live on camera for your entertainment and joy, okay? When you thought of like the Roman Empire and like what they did for fun, you thought, let's put a guy in a cage and make him eat until he dies, right? That's kind of like this. Um, let's show the American version of this, because this is... This makes a little more sense for us, right? Because, you know, we all go to Arby's and, uh, what, you don't go to Arby's? No? Okay. Um, anyway, look at all of the art. Like, he's going to eat all of this, and then he decided to, over here to make this bowl of ramen with, like, cheese in it and spaghetti sauce. It's pretty, pretty, quite honestly disgusting, right? Like it, or some of you are like, man, that looks good. Some of you are in college, like, man. Right, look at all, that's like $20 worth of food. And look, look at all of that. So th this guy proceeds, and he's probably, I don't know who he is, but he's the most popular mukbanger uh, in the, the United States. And he goes on to eat all sorts of different things. Hun like hundreds of millions of people watch this stuff online. But perhaps the most infamous version, uh, like a pseudo version of mukbang in the United States is this next one, which is these guys who are, th these guys are called Epic Mealtime. You don't heard of Epic Mealtime? Okay. Bacon strips and bacon strips, it's these guys, okay? And they made this thing. So what they do is they create, they get these big giant meals, and they put them together, and then they sit, and then they just eat all of it. Okay, that's what they do. And this thing in front of them is called fast food lasagna. Fast food lasagna, it's disgusting. Or really good, like I said, depending on who you are. And this is what it's made from, okay? This is made from bacon, obviously. There's gonna be lots of bacon. There are 15 Big Macs in this lasagna. There, are, uh, there is one liter of Big Mac sauce, extra additional sauce. There is 15 Wendy's Baconators uh, layered, and then in between those there's bacon and cheese. And then underneath that, there's more bacon and cheese, and then there are 15 Team Burgers from A&W. And on top of it, there is cheese and onion rings over the top, melted to the glory of God and joy of all people, okay? And then what they're gonna do is they're gonna cut this up and eat it. And there is Jack Daniel's meat sauce on top of it as well as extra uh, ricotta cheese, okay? Just for the actual Italians that want ricotta on their lasagna. So, any guesses how many calories this will cost you? If you eat this entire thing, this will be 71,488 calories, 5,463 grams of fat. 
Yes, it's an exorbitant amount of food. And these three gentlemen, I think this, maybe this guy, consumed this thing. Holy cow, that's like putting food in a trough for a pig to just enjoy, right? Now, when most of us think of gluttony, we kind of go here in our minds, right? Can you go back to the Arby's guy? Most of us go here when we think of gluttony. Like, man, this dude's about to smash all of this food. And we're thinking exorbitant amounts, and you think of guys like Homer Simpson or Peter Griffin or Slimer from the Ghostbusters, and you think of these characters who just Scooby-Doo shovel food into their faces and just consume until they pass out. But as we were talking about in the hall with, with, one, of, with one of the guys in here, you don't feel so good when you eat this much food, right? No one's like, man, I'm so glad I did that. But most of us think gluttony is this, an all-out gorging of some of the most vilely delicious food that you can think of. But, of course, gluttony in Scripture and gluttony elsewhere is actually much more subtle than just this. Okay, this, this to be sure, seems like gluttony, but gluttony in and of itself is much more uh, much more um, subtle. Now, when we naturally see this, and I understand this, when we hear of gluttony, we think, man, that's probably not me. This is probably not my thing. And yeah, you probably don't have a YouTube channel where you eat all of this food. I get it. But like I said, gluttony, as we actually see it in the Bible, is much more subtle. In fact, the way we look at gluttony, and maybe rightfully so in some, in some respects, is we think it's funny. Does anyone think gluttony can be funny? This seems funny. We all kind of laughed, right? Funny? Gluttony's maybe unimportant. Maybe uh, a whatever attitude about it. Like, that's eh, okay. Like, whatever you want to eat, that's your thing. And, you know, all things in moderation. And whatever you want to eat, you just eat and enjoy it. Who cares? Like, I don't want to think too much about my food. That is so Western American of us to do. You see, gluttony is one of the most overlooked sins of the Christian faith. I would make the case it is the one overlooked sin in all of the Christian faith. You see, it is minimized, it is laughed at, it is cast to the side. It's even mocked when people call it out. You're like, hey man, are you, are, do you, is that a lot of food? You, hold on a second. I mean, what's wrong with you, buddy? You think you want to be a bodybuilder pretty soon here? And just kind of mock it, right? That's the way we look at it. But, but no sin in the body has had a greater impact on the quality of one's life than gluttony. No sin has had the, a greater impact on the quality of a person's life than this sin specifically. In fact, let me just give you a few different things on gluttony. So major modern Western disease in the United States are rampant today. I think we would agree to most of that. Things like diabetes are food-related and diet-related eating, right? More than 100 million U.S. Americans, adults, are now living with diabetes or pre-diabetes. That's a lot. That's over 25% of Americans living with this, according to, of course, the CDC. Um, nearly one in four adults living with diabetes, 7.2 Americans, right? They don't know they have the condition. They don't know they have it. And only 11.6% of adults with prediabetes knew they had it. So there's, a, there's something going on here, right? And, and diabetes has actually quadrupled since 1980. So almost 40 years, it's quadrupled. It has grown nearly tenfold specifically in the United States. Now, also heart disease, additionally, heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States. Both men and women, one in four people in the United States alone die of, that have died die of heart disease, 610,000 last year. That is a lot of people, okay? One study claims that nearly 22% of all deaths 
in developed countries, those are like modern Western countries, can be directly linked to poor food quality and consumption. And as much as 49% more can be indirectly linked, including things like cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, and even autoimmune conditions and food allergies and intolerances. All that to say, God doesn't speak about gluttony in the Bible for no reason. If it's in the Bible, we do believe all scripture is breathed by God and profitable, right? And that God has something to teach us when he speaks about consuming over and in excess. So God has a reason for this. Now, Christians do believe that, that God provides all things. And this includes food and drink. Now, I get it. In the U.S., it's kind of harder to see that God's the one providing for you. You see, in countries of abundance, it's much more difficult. You kind of say, okay, I swipe my card, I pay my cash, I get food. I provide it for my food. There's food everywhere. I go to the grocery store, go to the, the corner store, I go to the restaurant. There's food everywhere. There's food at my school, there's food at home, there's food everywhere, right? Food. But in other countries, it's, it's a lot more poignant to see that God is the provider of all things, okay? So God provides. That's what, that's what we believe. And so we have to rest on that first and foremost. But God makes, or sorry, gluttony rather, makes God's food provision about your pleasure rather than about God's faithfulness. So we're gonna, the, the, the crux of what we're talking about here is we're actually starting, beginning to change and shift and pervert what, what God's pleasure, or the pleasure, or the provision rather that God has given us for our own pleasure. So gluttony makes God's food provision about your pleasure rather than about God's faithfulness. Now, you may be thinking one of two things as you hear this, because maybe you haven't heard anything like this before. Number one, this does not apply to me. This doesn't apply to me. As we said, the subtle nature of gluttony meant it absolutely should, has, or will apply to you. That's what I'm saying, and I'll prove it. And then the second thing you may be thinking is, man, this does apply to me. What do I do? Like, what am I supposed to do if this is part of, like, who I am? And I will say this. Luckily for us, the Lord Jesus has given us antidotes for every single one of these seven deadly sins. And as we unpack this, I believe you will see the antidote. And so stick with me on this long journey down the mountain, if you will. First thing, let me give you a definition. What is gluttony, right? What is it? Because it's, it's important to start there. Like we all probably maybe have different definitions of it, okay? So let me give you a more common definition. A common definition of gluttony is, is an, gluttony is an excessive consumption consuming more than is reasonable and necessary to function and thrive. Okay, you probably thought that, right? Like, that makes sense. Gluttony is excessive consumption. You don't need as much as you're eating. You don't need as much as you're drinking. And yet you're over-consuming. That's a good, good basis and start for gluttony. But let me give you a little bit more of a biblical look at gluttony in terms of a definition. Throw that one up. The enjoyment of eating that has been untethered or disconnected from contentment in God, okay? Read that again. The enjoyment of eating that has been untethered or disconnected from contentment in God. If, if the Bible says what is true is that God is the focus, that he provides everything, and that everything we do is an act of worship to him, then God should be ultimately the focus of everything we do for those that are Christian. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so when our focus on our food becomes more about our own pleasure than it does about the provider of the food and who God has given, then we're on the first step, the subtle step towards this insidious and wicked and subtle sin, okay? We're, we're on that step. 
Now, all of these seven deadly sins begin with good things. Because you're probably thinking like, well, food's like a good thing. And of course food's a good thing. I love food. You guys have loved food. Some of you have been to my house. We like eating food. Food is a good thing. Gluttony begins with the good desire for food, right? In the same way, other sins begin with the good desire of, of things that are good that God has given, right? A desire for food is a good thing. It's a great thing. God gave us food to sustain us to, and to enjoy. And we should do both of these things with our food. We should be sustained by our food, and we should enjoy our food over meals. In fact, God places at the, at the main points of, as, of his story through the Bible, he places meals at, the, at all of them. The, the first Genesis chapter 3 begins with a meal, an apple, right? We see that the, the Passover is a meal. We see that the wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation at the end of days is a meal. God loves food. He's given us food to enjoy. And anytime we receive a meal, we have an opportunity to worship the creator with that meal. He provides, we're thankful, right? But this is where gluttony trickles in. You see, it trickles in when we begin to pervert God's good intention for our food. This is when it happens. We, for example, we start to make a good thing like food into a God thing. We turn a good thing like food into a God thing where we ultimately go to, to go to our food for worship and enjoyment and pleasure and sorrow and everything in our lives. For example, food becomes the main source of my celebration. Is it good to celebrate with food, by the way? Absolutely, right? Man, I just got a promotion. I'm gonna have some food. Let's go out to eat. Awesome. Oh, I just lost my job. You know what? Let's go out and have a meal. Oh, man, my, my boyfriend broke up with me. Ah, man, it's probably time to get a big tub of ice cream, okay? Oh, man, I got hurt. Uh, you know, I, I, I hurt my ankle or my foot. Man, it's time to probably get a whole thing of Oreos and just kind of lament in that, man. I'm, I just need Oreos. Bachelorette's on, you know, I just gotta, it's time to enjoy, right? What happens when we start going to food for every single instance of our lives, for every single thing? For a second, look down the scope of your life and see what do you do when you celebrate? Where do you go first? Do you go to food? When you lament, where do you go first? When uh, you're happy, where do you go? When you're sorrowful, where do you go? If you begin to go to food for everything first, now all of a sudden, you find yourself that you're ex beginning to exchange a good thing like food for a God thing. You're now turning a, a good thing into an ultimate thing, a thing, an item of worship. And that's how we find out that gluttony is idolatry. Now, idolatry is the worship of a created thing rather than the creator God. And so if you find yourself devoting your time, effort, energy, your happiness, your sorrow first to something other than God, we find this idea of idolatry. And food can become an insidious idol super fast, super quickly. So be very careful on this. Author Ken Pierpoint says this, there is nothing wrong with the enjoying food like any other good gift from God, of course. But when you begin to delight in food so much that it occupies a place in your soul that only God should have, you have made a God of food. You see, you see. Gluttony then is really then not about the act of eating itself. It's not necessarily about eating too much at a specific meal. Gluttony, like all things that Jesus and the Bible talk about, is actually about the heart. You see, God looks inward, not just outward. Gluttony is dangerous because it's often a symptom of a failure to see God as he is for you, sufficient. You see? But 
I've talked about it, but we're going to have to figure out where it hides because gluttony does hide pretty well. So let's, where does gluttony hide? The first place it hides, and bear with me on these, okay? The first place it hides is in a carefree attitude about eating. Let's start there. Like, let's start there because I'm not, I, I know that many of us are in here going, man, dude, this is ridiculous. Like, let's not even focus in on food. Let's, this is, like, I, I came for the gospel. Hold on a second. This is all about the gospel. Where does it hide? A carefree attitude. This is when we say food is food. We shouldn't focus too much on what we eat. I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, look at there's plenty of anorexics and there's bulimia and then there's bodybuilders and vanity. I mean, if we focus too much on food, then that's where we'll end up. It's true. We shouldn't be overly focused with our bodies, right? Self-infatuation is the other side of the ship. We fall off that side as well. And over-infatuation and over-manicurement of our bodies is, is in fact a sin, and it's a sin to be repented of, and we should be careful of it. But that's not what we're talking about here, actually. You see, that was kind of a bait and switch. Let's focus in on this side of the ship here, that, that gluttony does hide in a carefree attitude about food. When we don't think deeply enough about what and how we eat, we accidentally could be relying on food for our comfort, to cure sorrows, and to feel happy all of the time, just to get through the day. And we'll say things like, man, all things in moderation, but at, let me ask you this question. At what point does all things in moderation venture from, yes, let's enjoy things to all things in moderation, but it kind of moves from moderation to all things? And so like we're trying like literally everything in moderation? That's no longer moderation? Okay, all things, one at a time in moderation, but not all things in moderation. So you go to the store, you get one of each candy bar. Like, all things in moderation to the glory of God, right? No, that's not what we're talking about. You have to be very, very careful. So at what point does all things in moderation become poor stewardship of the body and the vessel God has given you? You have to be very careful. At what point am I stewarding poorly the, the, the gifts of sight and walking and thinking and being and serving? At what point am I taking advantage of those things and am I, am I a poor steward? We have to be very careful of this, okay? Look at... Actually, uh, the Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, check this out on, on the screen. All things are lawful for me. But Paul says, well, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, but I will not be dominated by anything. Well, food is meant for stomach, and stomach is meant for food. Yeah, and God will destroy both, one and the other. What is, God, what is Paul trying to say here? He's suggesting that some people are experiencing some sort of distance between their physical bodies and the spiritual. And I can assure you, that God did not create you spirit and body separate, that what you put in your mouth and what you put in your mouth through alcohol, and, or alcohol, drinking, water, sodas, and food, all of that stuff, all of that stuff matters to God, and it does, in fact, have ramifications on your spirit. And what he's saying here is that God is Lord no matter what food is meant for stomach and stomach meant for food. Yeah, and God's Lord of both of them, Right? And so if God's the creator of food and he's the creator of us, then we should look to him for the order of how we should steward what we're doing and how we're eating. He should be the judge, not our own day and our own culture. Now, in our culture in America, food is plentiful, food is fast, food is mutated and, and genetically changed, and so we consume and say, ah, it's not a big deal. Well, God's saying, well, hold on a second, God's Lord of your body and he's Lord of your food, and so we should be very, very careful. Paul here is alluding to the fact that the body is inextricably linked to the soul. 
Now, what if I told you that what you're eating actually does impact your spirituality? What if I told you that what you eat does in fact affect the way you worship God and the way you can serve other people? What if I told you that? Maybe you thought they were different. Maybe you thought, well, I'm gonna eat over here and this is in a box, but then what I do over here, my spiritual, when I read Bible reading, that's separate. No, God didn't create us that way. That's actually called dualism. Dualism is a very popular Western American and uh, Western European idea. The idea that the body and the spirit are altogether separate, but it's not like that in the rest of the world. Most, most other parts of the world do see the body and the spirit connected. But there are some Western minds that do think this, and there was a, 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 guy, a pastor named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he does have this interesting quote. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is not a doctor of theology. He was a medical doctor and a preacher. And this is what he says about this. It'll be up here. Does someone hold the view that as long as you are a Christian, it does not matter what the condition of your body is? Well, you will soon be disillusioned if you believe that. There are some in whose cases it's clear to me that the cause of their depression is mainly physical. Next slide. Is that the, yeah. And on the other hand, people who are more physically weak are more prone to attacks of spiritual discouragement and depression. See that? Weird. But if you recognize that the physical may be partly responsible for the spiritual condition and make allowances for this, you'll be better able to deal with the spiritual issues. Isn't that interesting? Here's a pastor who's also a medical doctor who sees the connection between people's spiritual, uh, spiritual body and what they're actually doing in their spirit and their physical body and what they're doing in their actual bodies. He's saying, you know what? There's a correlation here. You actually don't take care of yourself and you're depressed. I think there's a link. It's not just that you need more prayer. Maybe God wants you to steward your body well. Maybe he's leading you in a specific direction. The body and the spirit are connected. The body, the spirit, and the mind are all connected. That's what we're finding here. Where else does this uh, gluttony hide, okay? It hides in drinking. I'm, I'm saying this on purpose because I think when we think of gluttony, we think of food, but, and that's true. Gluttony is mostly about food, but when the Bible mentions gluttony, it also typically mentions drinking. So these two things are actually pretty linked together. Proverbs 23, 20 and 21 says this, it says, be not among the drunkards and among the gluttons. Okay, he puts them together. Eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them in rags. What is he saying? The way you, uh, the way you treat your body will manifest itself. The way you drink, the way you eat will manifest itself. And if we can't see it now, we will eventually see it. You will come to poverty. It says, and slumber will clothe them in rags. You will be lazy. You will be slothful. And that's what we're saying here. So we actually see that they are connected. They're looped together. Now, both often do lead us away from full dependency on God himself, right? Remember with food, if we go to food for everything, we're no longer going to God. When we're celebrating, what if we celebrated with the maker of things first? If we're sorrowful, what if, we what if we were sorrowful with, with Jesus first? What if we did that instead? The same is true for drinking, for alcohol. We could be sorrowful and go to the bottle, or we could be sorrowful and go to Jesus. We can celebrate and go to the bottle, or we can celebrate and go to Jesus. Now, we're not saying here that all drinking alcohol is bad. Jesus uh, turned water into wine. Uh, that, that's, we see that in Scripture. We see uh, wine being partaken of pretty frequently in the Bibles. But the Bible does say, Ephesians 5.18, do not become drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are drunk 
with wine or with alcohol, or when you are an overzealous glutton eating too much food, always going to food, you cannot be filled with God at the same time. Does that make sense? You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to be in that state and also be led by God. And it's also impossible to worship God and overly, repeatedly venture into overconsumption of food and overconsumption of alcohol. It's impossible. Now, again, I'll share this one really briefly. Where else does it hide? I've alluded to it several times. Where else does gluttony hide? It hides in celebration and in mourning. Remember, eating and drinking while celebrating is a good thing. Jesus says, do not fright fast when the bridegroom is here. Jesus is with his disciples. He wants them to eat. This is not a time for fasting. There are times for celebrations, times for good meals. But there's not a time to always eat meals. It's not always time to eat. It's not always time to drink. And so when we go to God, or rather when we go to alcohol or drink or gluttony, rather, or food, to eat or to celebrate two more at the same time, we get into trouble, okay? When we're always eating and drinking, no matter the situation, let's celebrate or I'm sad, we have to be very careful, okay? The last place gluttony hides, more practically, it hides in the waistline. Hides in the waistline. So you're like, man, I came to the wrong sermon today. The waistline. Gluttony is not merely evidenced by what you look like, okay? Gluttony can look differently. Some people eat one Skittle and balloon like Willy Wonka, right? That's me, okay? And some of us can eat 50 tacos and look like Kate Moss on a juice fast. Okay, we're just, let's just be honest, okay? It, food affects everybody differently. It changes people differently. It, it reacts with people differently. And so we have to be careful, we don't know. We can't necessarily look and see that based on what I look like in the mirror, I'm a glutton or I am not. Now, studies show that the risk for heart disease is actually nearly the same regardless of weight and appearance if the diet was poor. Well, that's, that's scary. People who are thin may be more genetically predisposed to visceral fat, which is fat that surrounds the organs, a more dangerous fat than they are subcutaneous fat, fat that hides right underneath the skin. There are all sorts of different genetic predispositions and I know that most of us will probably judge the idea of gluttony based on the mirror, but that's not a good idea. Because again, gluttony is not about your appearance. It's about your heart. It's about where you're worshiping. Where are you going for everything, your affection, the cure for your sorrows? Where are you going? That's what Jesus is talking about. He looks at the heart, not just the outward, but the inward. Your health may not, be, may not yet evidence bodily neglect. It may come years down the road before we realize this. What you look like in the mirror, again, is not evidence of good stewardship. It is your behavior and disposition towards your body and your faith in Jesus that is a good evidence. Now, again, I'm not suggesting here that anybody's a glutton if they don't eat perfect. That's absolutely not what I'm talking about, and so I needed to address that right away. Not at all. I'm suggesting that if we, what we need to do is carefully look at our lives to assess if we have hidden idols, okay? First Timothy 4, or sorry, rather, yeah, First Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely, right? Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why is this important? Paul is telling you to do two things right here. Watch your life and your doctrine. Most of us watch our doctrine. Some of us just watch our life. Paul is saying watch both closely because in them you will save yourself and save your hearers. We, might, we can't just work in our lives. We have to work on our lives. This is the sin here, okay? 
Now, we got all of that out of the way. What is the antidote? What's the antidote? The antidote to gluttony is self-control through contentment. Self-control through contentment, okay? It's both. Now, some of you hear self-control, and you're like, gee, thanks. So <laughs> your answer is like, just stop. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of easier said than done, right? But kind of, kind of, kind of just stop. Yeah, that's part of it. Self-control is a necessary factor. We do need to have self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If we don't have self-control, then you're opening yourself up to attack spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. You must guard yourself by rebuilding your wall, and that's what self-control is. Some of us do have immense self-control, though, right? Some of you may feel like, man, that's me. I'm good. I'm like, I take notes. I've got, like, color-coded post-it notes for everything I'm doing. Like, I've got certain highlighters that I use, and, like, once they're 80% low, I, I throw them out. And I only use crisp, clean dollar bills. I, you know, once, my, once the number starts wearing off my credit card, I, I get a new one. I, I, need, I need everything to be perfect. Some of you have really, really good self-control. Some of you else, not so much. Some of you are like, open wall. It's more like no wall, right? Like, I, I, don't, I can't get up on time. I, I just eat whatever I want. I'm never, I, I, it's hard, right? While you can, on your own, increase your self-control, that's possible. The American Psychological Association and many other uh, organizations like these have recently put out several studies together proving that self-control is a finite resource, that you can and do run out of self-control willpower. You as a human being can deplete your stores to the point where you have none at all, which means white-knuckling your faith ultimately will run its course. You cannot white-knuckle a relationship with Jesus and just use self-control to obey the Bible because eventually you will deplete your self-control abilities. You will no longer be able to do it. Same is true for dieting, with anything that's related to this. Not drinking, self-control. We all will run out of self-control. But, but, for someone who has access to maybe a supernatural power, for someone who has access to something beyond themselves, can and do find a well of self-control outside of themselves. You see what I'm saying? We find that well in no other place than contentment in Jesus Christ himself. That's where we find it. Contentment in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he says this, check this out. Paul says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation and I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty hunger, plenty and hunger and abundance and need, that I can now do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pretty awesome, right? Think about it like this. When Jesus is the ultimate source of your joy and your contentment, all of the other sources of need become a little smaller. Great example of this is during Christmas because during Christmas, I always get my kids gifts and they love their gifts and they open them up and man, they're awesome. But you know, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, every now and then they like bring this wheelbarrow in and it's got this giant gift in it. Like who knows, it looks like it's a, 
a tiny home in that giant thing. And I'm like, what are you giving my kids? You think my house sucks and they need to live in another house? I'm like, what's in that box, right? And so the kids are playing with our toys and looking at their, their clothes. And they're so excited about all their gifts. And then my mother-in-law brings in this giant gift and all their attention goes, oh, oh, what's in that box? Like, I don't even like, get this thing away from me. Like, and they just, you know, they tear at it like little rats, just like rip, ripping open the, the gift. And it's this giant, amazing gift. And they're like, this is awesome. Now, my kids, they, they still like the gifts we gave them, right? They still enjoy them, but they really like this gift. It's awesome. I mean, this is a gift that like, meets all of their expectations that we're looking for. You, you get my analogy. You see that Jesus is this capital G gift. When we find him, we go to him with, with sorrows and with sadness and with depression, but also in joy and in happiness and excitement, and we feast our eyes on him. And yes, there are all, all these other little gifts around. Yes, the gift of food, the gift of relationships, man, the gift of, uh, of, of serving. There's all these great gifts, and all of them matter. But the biggest one that matters is this guy. And I'm excited about these gifts, but this is where my focus is. Gluttony is us taking... The, the tube socks under the tree that we got and taking it over in the corner and turning our back on the great gift. Like, yeah, I, I really like these tube socks. These are awesome. Man, these aren't as, man, they're not as nice. They do smell good, but man, and you're just enjoying them by yourself away from the great gift. That's what gluttony is. That's what idolatry is. Don't you see that? Now, Paul has learned contentment through, satis through a satisfaction he finds in God himself is really what brings his contentment, right? Because you have to wonder, like, how do I get that contentment? Because you're just telling me to be contentment in God. But look what, look what Paul says he's content in, Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss, all of the other gifts. I count them all as loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, some translations will say trash or garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. You see, we are in front of this giant gift. And man, all of these other gifts, man, food is a great gift. It's a wonderful, amazing gift. But compared to Christ as a God, nothing pales, everything pales in comparison to this great God. Other things are garbage compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, and guess what, guys? Here's what's cool. Now that you know that the big G gift's in the room, it's so much easier to enjoy the little Gs because you're not putting so much pressure on them to fulfill you like big G is supposed to. Man, when you look at food as it as, like it needs to meet the core identity it needs that you have, then all of a sudden you begin a love-hate relationship with it. When you put that on your wife or your kids or your girlfriend or your job or your alcohol, or, and you put that on it, it's going to turn on you because those tube socks were never meant to be the capital G gift that God is to you. God is always meant to be a bigger gift to you. And once he is, then all of these other gifts can be enjoyed the way they're supposed to. Now, some of you are like, man, you're telling me to enjoy Jesus, but like, he kind of seems distant from me. Like, he seems kind of like way out there. The cool thing about our God, the Christian God, is that he's not just a, an idea or a concept. He actually came as a person. And that's this guy, Jesus, right? He, he comes as a person, distilled down, walked the earth, lived a life that we should have lived, died the death that was meant for us. And then death couldn't hold him, and he rose after that three days later. But along his life, the Bible records that God himself 
himself was tempted in every way as we are. Jesus himself is the suffering servant. He suffered for us. Anything you've been tempted by, and that includes food, Jesus has been tempted by, and yet he beat it. He shows you the way, and he gives you the power. Today is the day that we bring Jesus into our lives as the big gift. Today is the day we get out of the corner with the tube socks, get out of the corner with the girlfriend, with the boyfriend, with the drinking, with the alcohol, with the, with the abuse and the verbal abuse at work, where we get out of the corner and we turn our faces to the Lord Jesus that we might be able to enjoy all of the small gifts. Let's pray.